It's great to be uh, with you. My name's James. If I haven't uh, met you before, uh, great to have you with us. Um, I'm married to Sarah, um, and we have a little daughter called uh, Maddie or Madison, um, and she is coming up to 11 months old, and she's acting like a three- or a four-year-old that is trashing around the house and pulling things over and climbing the stairs and all sorts. Um, but it's great, great to be here. And we are uh, in the third part of our vision series uh, together, looking at what kind of church do we want to be here in Bristol. And so um, over the last few weeks, we've been reading uh, from Acts chapter 11 about a church in a city called Antioch. And we've looked at how uh, this church in this significant city in the Middle East had a, a huge impact Uh, on the surrounding areas and uh, beyond. And so we're going to be looking at that passage in Acts uh, chapter 11 uh, in a little while. But the city of Antioch, if if you don't know anything about it, um, is actually a similar population size to Bristol. Um, uh, It was a centre of trade and business, uh, very diverse in terms of culture and language. Uh, and probably in the top three biggest cities in the Roman Empire at the time. So it's, it's not a backwater, in the sticks kind of place, but of, of real significance. Um, and at the time, by the time that we're going to be reading, it had been established for, for 300 years. So it, it established a culture and an identity of itself. And uh, it, there was lots of in, incomings and outgoings, military leaders, political leaders, setting up residency there. And it's into this Uh, diverse, cultural, very busy uh, metropolis, really, of a city that this church begins. And uh, it's just an amazing story. I mean, just imagine what that would have been like. Uh, A smattering of believers that had been dispersed because of persecution from different areas find themselves in Antioch, and they decide that they're going to start this church. Imagine what that might have been like. A, a, a really busy city with a ton of gods actually that were worshipped at the time but yet here is a, a set of believers that have committed to each other and so committed to Jesus that they want to establish a church and see the gospel spread into every area of that city in fact they were given the nickname you might know this already they were given their nickname there Christians little Christ that's where they were first named in Antioch such was the impact that this church plant had. Uh, and so uh, we're going to think about this church because actually from this church, a church planting movement started from Antioch. They were able to respond to the needs of, of areas that were experiencing difficulty in famine. Uh, and so they were able to look beyond themselves. They existed beyond themselves. It's a remarkable church to be looking at this this afternoon now. (laughs) And uh, we're going to see some of those things uh, today. Uh, And so uh, as we do that, we're going to try and draw some parallels uh, for us here in Bristol. This ability and a culture within the church to be able to to look beyond themselves, to reach beyond themselves. Uh, And this uh, church planting movement that kick-started from Antioch would see churches established right the way through the Roman Empire into Turkey and Cyprus and into Europe 
Uh, it's an incredible uh, story. So why don't we start and why don't we read um, Acts chapter 11, starting um, from verse 19 through to 30. The words are going to appear on the screen. It says this, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, and during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world and this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. What's uh, fascinating about this church in Antioch is there's this kind of double movement involved in, in the few verses that we've just read. There's this, in the first kind of movement in, in verses kind of 19 through to 26, we see that there's a real focus on training and equipping and in strengthening the church in Antioch as it currently exists. And then there's a bit of a gear change and in from verses kind of 27 through to 30, we see the focus changes to respond to the needs of others and opportunities beyond their city. And so there's the kind of the building up and strengthening of the church in the first few verses. And then in, that, in those last three verses, there's an ability to respond to the needs of others that are experiencing in this text famine, for instance. And so we see that, that there's the building up, establishing, strengthening, and then being able to respond and resource other areas. And as I was thinking about that, I was, I was reflecting on, I don't know if you've heard of carb loading uh, before, I'm, I'm sure many of you do it. Um, uh, when I played a lot of uh, football at university, uh, we, were give, we took it quite seriously and we were even given diet plans, which you know, I think is an extreme as students and it's quite tough to stick to. We were given diet plans so that we were eating the right stuff, so when it came to game day, we had the kind of maximum energy that we needed to be able to play uh, on the pitch. And so um, the night before, you kind of eat like you know, healthy food in the week, but the night before, the diet plan would say, 
carb load. And that was intake of so many carbohydrates, it almost would make you sick. It was pasta, garlic, bread, grate the cheese on. Uh, you'd, you know, you'd have like bread and butter pudding for dessert. And it was just like the last man standing uh, kind of one. But what it meant was by Wednesday afternoon, which is when we would play uh, the match, you had so much slow-releasing energy that you would be far more effective once you ran on to the pitch. And in a similar way, we see something of that in this church in Antioch. We see the kind of strengthening and building up of the church, the kind of carb-loading of the church, so that when they needed to respond, when they needed to run onto the field, they were able to do it with maximum effectiveness. And I think that's significant for us as we, as we think about this and for ourselves, because there was always a couple of the players who would, you know, they would really go to town on the carb loading, but then they would only, unfortunately, maybe play for 10 minutes the next day. And over time, they would just start to carry a little bit of extra timber. And um, they would become overweight and a little bit flabby, and we'd point, you know, we'd make fun of them and all that kind of things. But... The challenge is actually for us as individuals and as a church is, is that we can strengthen and establish ourselves so much, but if we don't actually then go and do the stuff, if we don't run onto the field, we become overweight, flabby churches, and eventually we become so insular that we just die. And I think the challenge for us here is, is that we want to invest in strengthening our church, but we also want to respond to the needs of others. We also want to look at other places that we can move into and establish churches and church plants in the future. That's what God has called us to be. You know, he hasn't called us to be overweight, flabby churches. And in fact, if you go into the, the archives of City Church, uh, this idea of being a resourcing church, the ability to look beyond themselves, uh, has actually been there f- from its inception in 22 years ago. It was planted from Brighton. That's evidence enough that it's in our DNA to move, to, to launch churches elsewhere, to look at how we can establish multiple sites across this city. We're to be a church that resources other churches to respond to the needs of others outside of ourselves. And so the question I want us to think about is, well, how do we do that? How do we uh, do something like that here in Bristol? And so like I said, when, when we see the church in Antioch strengthening and becoming more established in the, in the city, the first thing we see is that they were able to receive outside input. Outside input. If, if you look at verse 22, we see that the news of how well the church was doing had reached Jerusalem. And so the church in Jerusalem, they send Barnabas, this key leader in the church, and Barnabas visits Antioch. Uh, and, and spends time there. And so this church in Antioch were, were willingly able to receive outside input, or, or to put it in more biblical language, I suppose, you could call it apostolic input, or apostolic ministry. You may have heard of that term before, you may not have, but it's, it's very simply receiving input from recognized leaders with the gifting and leadership primarily to plant churches and establish strong foundations in churches. 
And so they come and they often establish leaders within that church to then ensure that that church continues to grow and strengthen and continue to flourish. And so if you were around at City Church, even two or three years ago, when we brought, we brought two churches together, the one in Bradley Stoke and here at Cotton, and we brought it under one name, City Church, and one leadership team, and we received Guy Miller, who was a recognized leader in our family of churches, and he set in the leadership team, the elders. That's the kind of thing that apostolic input does, is it, it establishes strong foundations so that the church can grow and flourish. We also receive other people, don't we, as well, though. We've had other outside speakers come in and give us input, whether they have a gift of evangelism or mission. So we've had Lex Loisidis come a couple of times uh, to propel us forward in evangelism, or an Angela Kem with a, a strong prophetic gift, or Martin Charlesworth who came for that extraordinary Sunday about how we can be a church for the poor. I don't think it's a surprise that actually we're starting to see some of those things come to fruition. We've seen more responses to the gospel this year uh, than I can remember as being part of City Church. We've got up to 18 responses to the gospel since January, which is amazing. We baptized four people a couple of weeks ago here. Our social action projects are flourishing. And so that's the kind of thing that these gifts, when they come, help us to move Forward, and, and I suppose a way of thinking about those kind of things is having like those conversations that you have. Uh, you might have a go to person when you just need some advice and some wisdom. I find like I'm still calling my dad about how to sort out my car when it breaks, and there's damp in the house, and what the heck are pensions all about. And, uh, and you just call, he helps, under, helps you understand and gives you guidance and wisdom. And apostolic input, outside input, can, can do that for us. It can be that kind of of support. And so even in, you know, in a few weeks' time, we've got uh, Scott Marks coming, who's a recognized uh, leader, gifted apostolic leader from Zimbabwe in Africa, and he's coming, spending a weekend with us on the 24th, Sunday the 24th of November. He's preaching here, um, and uh, he oversees a load of churches in Africa. He's a businessman. He's even got a crocodile farm, which I don't anticipate we're going to go and start here. Um, but there's lots to learn from him, and he's going to strengthen us and encourage us as we move forward as a church. Can I encourage you to be here on that Sunday? And so Barnabas, he comes to Antioch, and what does it say he did while he was there? What does it say he did while he was there? Well, it tells us in verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad, and this is what he did, and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I wonder what Barnabas would say to us if he was to walk into our service and into our church here at Cotton or in Bradley Stoke or in one of our worship evenings, or what would Barnabas say to us as a church? I think he would say something pretty similar, encouraging us to remain true to the Lord with all our hearts. It feels like more than ever in our society and in our culture, there is a need for the church to stand firm, to remain true to the Lord, to not waver, to not succumb to the, the pressures of, of the culture that we're in, to, to hold to the truth of God's word. It means we're able to, to navigate 
through difficult issues and, and find out what God has to say about things like politics and, and gender and anxiety and broken society. It's so important for us to know where we stand on those things, to remain true to the Lord, to not give in to things that the world is obsessed about, drinking culture amongst young people, or, or, or a, a position on marriage that, the God, that God and the Bible actually teach, to stand for justice, to celebrate diversity. We are called to be different. And when we engage with some of those things in a similar way to those that perhaps don't follow Jesus, we're just muddying the waters. We don't stand out. The, the church in Antioch were called Christians. They got given the nickname. They didn't give themselves the nickname. It was by other people. I think that's significant for us. And Barnabas is encouraging the church to, to do the same, to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. And as he's doing that, stuff is happening. More and more people are turning to the Lord, it says. And if you were there at the time, I mean, just imagine being there at the time. You must be loving it. You know, there's people becoming Christians. You've got the big dog Barnabas there. You must be enjoying his teaching, having a whale of a time. And then Barnabas turns to them and says, well, I've just got to pop off for a couple of days and find my old mate Saul and just bring him back. And people are thinking, what, what, what's that all about? And, and, and he goes and he finds him. Who knows how long it took him to find him, but it says he found him. Uh, and he brings him back to Antioch. And in verse 26, we see that, that Barnabas and Saul met with the church for a year. And what do they do? It says they taught great numbers of people. I think firstly it's significant that Barnabas goes and finds Saul and brings him out of some kind of obscurity and into the calling that was always destined for Saul. He was supposed to preach to the Gentiles. He was supposed to launch this church planting movement. Barnabas goes and finds him, brings him back to Antioch. And we see actually further on then, Paul launches his, his first missionary trips from Antioch. And so there's an equipping there that, that we will come to, to see later. But also, uh, what is particularly clear is that even though the Lord's hand was with this church, even though people were turning to the Lord and getting saved and restored, but Paul and, and Barnabas saw this importance of teaching God's word to this people for a whole year. That, that should spring something into our minds. They committed for a whole year to stay with this church, to teach them the word of God. And if you look, even this year, like I've said, all these great things are happening amongst us. It, there's evidence that the Lord's hand is with us. We're, we're, even, you know, we're thinking about launching, a, well, we are going to be launching a new site in fish ponds in the first half of next year, which is being led by Ash George. We've been able to build ourselves up to be able to do that. And all other things that are going on, and yet there is a call for us to commit ourselves to the teaching and preaching of God's word. And that means that there's a bit more uh, for us as more regular preachers to be, able to be doing that. But I think there's also a challenge for us as, as the people of God to allow the word of God to, to dwell richly in our hearts. And so, um, you know, recently I've been thinking about that and, and reading about the Wesley brothers. You may have come across John and Charles Wesley before they were uh, guys in the 18th century. And uh, they actually spent a lot of time here in Bristol. And you can go and visit uh, the chapel in town, uh, the Wesley Chapel in the center of town. But when they were at university, 
They would uh, gather as a, as a little group and they would read different things together, a bit of a book club, and they would talk about it. But they would also then uh, ask a series of 22 questions of each other to challenge them and strengthen them in their walk with God. I'm not going to read all 22, you'll be pleased to know. But I'm going to give you two that's connected with allowing the, the word of God to dwell richly in our hearts. And, and the two questions were this. Do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? And then, if you thought that one was a challenge, here we go. Did the Bible live in me today? Did the Bible live in me today? It's all well and good reading it, but it, did it live in you? Did it change the way you live today? And they would ask these questions of each other. And I, when I first read it, I just squirmed. I was just like, oh, that just puts a finger on something that I don't really like. And yet we need to ask these questions of each other, of ourselves. Did the Bible live in me today? Is the word of God dwelling in you richly? Because as, the, as members of the church, and as the church, when we commit ourselves to that, we begin to, to strengthen and grow and become more established. It's, it's the lifeblood of every believer. It's, it's the lifeblood of the church feeding yourself and coming under the teaching of, of God's word. And to you know, use the analogy of, of what we eat. The, the people that neglect the word of God are like those that just don't eat their fruit and veg. They just become malnourished. They're more susceptible to illness. They, they just binge on a load of trash food. And if you neglect those things, you will never actually run on to the field. You'll struggle to fulfill God's call on your life if you don't commit yourself to those things. And so rather than leaving the church in Antioch to continue in their, in their momentum and in their strengthening, Barnabas and Saul gave a whole year to teaching and equipping and training the church to be as strong as it could be. And as part of our vision at City Church, we want there to be a culture of making disciples who are committed to the word of God, but also to the equipping and training of leaders. And so we've started a, a leadership development program which, which people can sign up to uh, as a connect group. And we want to create these leadership pipelines for men and women uh, to be trained and equipped to be leaders in the church, leaders in the workplace, in their home, in their communities, so that we might see a city changed by the gospel. We're committed to that, and so if you feel a sense of leadership, you want to step into leadership, then you can sign up to one of those connect groups in January when they start. And so we start to see this in, in Antioch, this commitment to the word of God and the training of leaders, the receiving of apostolic input, outside help, and as we engage in those things, we will also become stronger and in the right position to be able to move forwards. And so that's like the first movement of this church in Antioch, the building up of the church. But like I said, there's a second movement too. Because with this strength, the church was able to respond to the needs of others. And they were able to, to respond and provide resources in, in places where they were need, but also to be able to send leaders, send church planters out to spread 
the gospel. We see that in verse 27. There's uh, Agabus and a, a group of prophets arrive. And so again, more evidence that this church was able to receive outside input. Agabus prophesies that there's going to be this severe famine in Judea. And the church in Antioch just don't, don't just go, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's a shame for them, isn't it? They, they take the prophetic word seriously and they actually do something about it. They decide to provide help for the people living in Judea. And they, they give probably financial gifts to Saul and Barnabas to take back to the affected areas. And, and a resourcing church is able to do that. Uh, able to respond to the needs of others. And that can be financially, which we see here in this text, but it can also be expertise and wisdom and experience as well. And all these things actually have been given to us here in Bristol to be able to do and to bless other people in other situations. But perhaps the strongest example of Antioch being a resourcing church which was its ability to send people into new ventures. It became this hub of incomings and outgoings Leaders coming in and going out, starting new churches, then reporting back to the church in Antioch about how it was going. People being trained and equipped at Antioch to then go and launch new churches and new ministries. You know, Saul, for instance, who, who would later be called Paul, launched his first missionary trips from Antioch into Cyprus, Turkey, and into Europe. And later on in the book of Acts, in Acts Chapter 13, the first few verses, we read this. It says, uh, while they were worshiping, there's a, a very diverse group of leaders and prophets in the church at this point. And it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The strength and stability that they'd built up was now being used to support other communities in need, but also to send leaders out to launch and start new churches. And it's clear then that the right kind of diet that they were feeding themselves with was meaning that they would be able to run onto the pitch and resource beyond themselves. And again, we at City Church, we want to be a church which generously uh, shares resources with others, both in Bristol and beyond. We want to be big-hearted, providing people and resources into churches and cities so that they can best serve God's kingdom and spread the gospel. So our vision here is that we would have multiple sites across the city of Bristol. And so, I don't know about you, I'm so excited for the new site to be launched uh, next year, which Ash George is going to be uh, leading. I'm so excited about that because we're starting to see the fruit of some of what we've been working towards. Uh, we're looking also, though, to beyond, beyond just Bristol. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to plant churches in other cities like Bristol? You know, a couple of weeks ago, as a, as a leadership team, we gathered and we just spent a bit of time just dreaming about the cities around the world that we would like to plant churches in the future. I mean, if we carried out all of those things, I think we'd all be dead by the end, but, but they were, it was so exciting to be able to just get post-it notes and write cities that you just feel like, oh, I would love to see a church planted in that city. That's the kind of church that we want to be. 
looking beyond ourselves. And so what we see here in, in Antioch is the ability to do that, but it, it takes people to be able to respond to God. It takes people to, to be prepared to move. It takes people to be prepared to stay and commit to the strengthening and establishing of current sites. It takes buildings and finances. And so you might be thinking, well, how do I get involved in this? A really easy way uh, actually is to give, even financially. Even as a student, you can do that. I know there's not a lot of money swirling around when you're a student, but you can even just give it. It's good for your heart to do it because it loosens the grip on money. And you can give to something. You can give to God's kingdom and give into his church. You can do that today. There's literally, you can do it at the welcome desk at the end. And you can give a fiver a month. And that will just do you good. And to serve this vision. And I guess as I've been preparing this, I've been thinking, well, what's the motivation behind this? Yes, I want to see the gospel spread. I want to see churches established. But why do I personally, and why am I invested in this? What motivates me to think about what God is calling me to do, or whether I need to stay or go, or give my finances to things? And what we see in the Bible is, and in Antioch and in the New Testament, is people responding in obedience to what God has called and said. And the remarkable thing is, is that God, the God that we serve and the God that we worship this morning uh, is not a God that just barks instructions at us as if we're minions just kind of doing his bidding. This is a God who came in supreme kindness and compassion towards us. He, in fact, he left the comfort of heaven perfect joy, perfect community within the Trinity. He left that and stepped into a broken world that was in desperate need of saving. He sent his son, Jesus, in order that we might be saved from our own sin and our destructive nature. God sent his son, the the ultimate apostle, if you like, the ultimate father, the ultimate helper and encourager, the ultimate gift to die on a cross and bear the sin of the world on himself so that we might find forgiveness and freedom and relationship and union with God and an eternal family to be part of. As Christians here this morning, we get to enjoy those things, but there is a world out there that is waiting for good news and for a hope. And as a church, we are part of that answer. We don't just leave it to God to do it. There is a relationship that he's invited us into where we can co-labor, we can partner with him and we are part of the answer. And so we do these things because God sent his most precious gift to save us and so we respond to that truth, that goodness uh, by existing for more than just ourselves. Being prepared in fact to send our very best. To send our very best in order that the gospel would spread and the kingdom of God would be established right across the city, across the nation, into the nations. And so this is where you can start to think about how you can play your part. If you're here at City Church and this is your church, I want to encourage you to think about how you can play your part. You know, the vision of the church isn't just restricted to to us as leaders or the staff team. I mean, that would be incredibly dull and boring if that was the case. 
It's a call to the whole church to be part of this resourcing church, to look beyond ourselves. And so I want us to think about just three ways that you can play your part. You can pray. Firstly, you can pray. You can ask God, what, what does this mean for me? What are you saying to me now? Perhaps to look beyond yourself. Perhaps there is a stirring in you to think about other people, other nations, other cities, other parts of Bristol. You can pray, you can ask God. The second thing is to serve with the gifts and the resources that you have. You can bring them to bear in this church, in the city. What is God saying to you? You can, you can serve here on a Sunday or in, in loads of our ministries and social action projects. There's a load of different ways that you can get involved and bring the gifts that God has given you to benefit and strengthen the church. And the final thing is to dream. And uh, you know, what, what, where is God placed on your heart? Where is God placed on your heart to see happen in Bristol or further afield, to see the gospel bear fruit for churches to be planted? Perhaps you've just moved to Bristol and you're like, I'm just getting to know the Bristol. Great, invest here, stay here, we'd love it. But there's also people that are called to move as well, to think beyond just Bristol, perhaps into Europe. Maybe there are cities on your heart where you visited and you just think there needs to be a gospel preaching church in this city. You can dream. And so in, in a few minutes' time, we're going to give out some cards and some pens, and you can just write something down, whether it's to, to pray for yourself, to serve, or perhaps it's just a city or a place or a people group or an area of Bristol that you want to see changed by the gospel. Who knows what that might start for you. But before we do that, um, I just want to share a quote with you that I stumbled across uh, this week, and it's from Alan Scott, and he said this, our destiny is hidden in our history. Our destiny is hidden in our history. And as I was thinking about what that meant, the idea that our future somehow is wrapped up in what has gone before us, I started just to think about two significant narratives. One uh, from the story of Bristol as a city, and another actually just within our church, City Church, a story and a narrative that we often talk about. And so the first thing in terms of the history of Bristol is that there is this dark and harrowing history that Bristol has been built upon in terms of the slave trade. And so much of this city has been built off the back of the exploitation of, of people and the resources that were being bought and sold and being sent out as a, as a way of bankrolling so much of the horrors of the slave trade. And in some way, I believe, our story as a church, and church is actually right across Bristol, part of our story is to redeem some of that narrative in our city. It's not just to sweep it under the carpet and forget that it ever happened. We don't want to do that. But there is something of what we're called to do as a church, which is to write a new history that has far more hope in it, diversity, justice. That's the kind of story that we want to write. And so as a resourcing church, the idea of sending people out with the, the amazing message of Jesus can help to do that. But secondly, and I guess in stark contrast to that first narrative, Bristol also has this rich history of mission and faith and restoration. Uh, and as a church, we've had you know, prophetic words about 
rediscovering or reopening the wells of, of heroes like John and Charles Wesley, who, who started this aggressive church planting movement, the Methodist movement, out of Bristol across the nation. Isn't that amazing? Or George Whitfield, who in the fields of East Bristol in, on Hannah Mount would preach in the fields to thousands of people, seeing them saved and respond to the gospel. George Muller, who set up orphanages just up the road from here, seeing the restoration of broken lives of people who didn't have parents. Incredible stories of faith. And I believe, and in terms of the prophetic words that have been shared and spoken over us, that that's the kind of church that we want to be, to look beyond ourselves to see this city change, to see this nation change, and into the nations. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and the welcome team are going to hand out these cards. Come and do that while I pray, guys. And some pens. And you can just dream. You can pray. You can just write something down. We're not going to ask you to hand them in unless you really feel like you want to. What I would say is, is that if you do have a place in Bristol on your heart or a city, just come and talk to us. We'd love to hear it. We don't want us just to be a little exercise and you take home. We want to start this conversation. Where could we go? What could God call us into as a church? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you that in the first instance you have you've come into this world and you have saved us. That you left the comfort of heaven, the joy of heaven, and you came and stepped into our world to rescue us. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that we are the beneficiaries of the gospel, of the goodness of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for that. But, Lord, we do want to pray for, for our church, Lord, that we wouldn't be overweight, flabby, ineffective, but we would respond in obedience, that we would see a waiting world that needs hope, a waiting world, a waiting city that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we want to be uh, responsive to that. And so God, I just pray, even in this moment, would you speak to people now of what that, what that might mean for them? Speak to us now, Lord. Place cities on our hearts. Place areas of Bristol in our heart. Place people groups in our heart that we might look beyond ourselves as individuals and ourselves as a church to see a city and a nation changed. In Jesus' name, amen.